Christ is risen. Do you believe it? Better question. Have those words taken root in a way that they, they transform you. Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. This is one of my favorite times of the year. We are in the season of Easter, in case no one has mentioned that yet. A 50 days of celebration, 50 days of, of reveling in the work of the resurrection, 50 days of being able to pull up to the table and eat with Jesus and have him tell about the kingdom of God and what is to come. 50 days to wait patiently for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The season of Easter is a time of new birth, resurrection, and growth. It is a wonderful time of year. But that's not the only reason I love this time of year. I love being in a town surrounded by multiple institutions of higher learning at this time of year. I love students. I love the fact that they still see the world and believe that they are going to change it. Believe it or not, I'm a little older than that. And there are days when I can be a little cynical. Can I get a witness? There are days when I look around and I think, I don't know how much impact I can have on the world. But I love being around students who are about to graduate, whether they be from college or the upcoming high school graduations. They see the world through a different lens. And I love being around them as we crescendo to the end of the school year. And the papers start to come due and everyone's hard at work and professors are exhausted from all the grading. They're piled in heaps all the way around town right now. Many of them probably aren't even here. And we get to the end and we send them off for their great mission in the world. But here's what always has me scratching my head. We crescendo to the end of the year, the big celebration when people put on weird robes and funny hats. It's an odd tradition that we can hang on to. And they send them out. It's a special occasion. And what happens immediately after we send them out? We all crumple and go and escape to vacation because we're exhausted. And we go into this time of the ordinary a time where the celebration ceases. And things seem to slow down and we pull back on our responsibilities. This is summertime. And I always wonder why we crescendo and then fall off the cliff. And I look at the story of Mary Magdalene in the Gospels, and I think it can be instructive for us. As we think about love of God and obedience to God and what that looks like for you, what it looks like for me, what it looks like for us. Mary's an interesting character because we know very little about her. And it bothers us. 
It's bothered the church for hundreds of years. The church took time and even started to transform the stories, started to take other people's stories and try to connect them to Mary Magdalene. Because we realize that all we know about her before this account in the book of John, all that we know about her is that she used to be a part of Jesus's group. Luke, in Luke chapter eight, says there are some women, Luke or John or Jesus, I'll get there in a second. Jesus is about to tour around the countryside. He's on mission, going from place to place. And Luke points out that there are some women who are also following, some women who are also his disciples. And he lists Mary Magdalene specifically, saying she was set free by Jesus from seven demons. That's pretty specific. But that's it. The only other thing we might know about her is that she is part of this group of women who were funding the travel and being the support staff as Jesus and his disciples go from place to place. So there's a chance that most of the places that Jesus went throughout his life, Mary and these other women were part of that discipleship group. That's all we know until we get to this story, until Jesus is arrested. And for years and years and years, I've heard and have probably said a few times myself, that as Jesus is on his way to the cross, as he's going to his trial, as he's being beaten, as he carries his cross up the hill to be crucified, all his friends and disciples have left him. Friends, that's not true. Because there were a group of women who were there every step of the way. And Mary was one of them. And it's important. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, I passed, as he writes to the church in Corinth, these new believers, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Friends, do you know the only, one of the only people who can tell that whole story is Mary Magdalene. She's one of the few witnesses who was there for the whole thing. And so I found it interesting that often she gets lost in the story. And I think for years I've written it off as just circumstance, right? Mary and possibly some of the other women show up at the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark. And the tomb, the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is open. And so she runs to get Peter and the other disciple. And those two guys have a foot race. What an interesting detail to include. They have a foot race back to the tomb. The other disciple is faster, but Peter is brash, so he runs right in. And what do they see? when they enter the tomb. Do you remember? What do Peter and the disciple that Jesus loves, what do they see? Angels? Jesus? No. They see grave clothes. They see linen laying in a heap, nicely folded, bed made. 
They leave and return home. Mary stays behind, weeping, still looking for Jesus. And what does she see? This is when the angels show up. This is when she turns and sees who she thinks is the gardener and is face to face with the risen Savior. Why? Why her? Why not Peter and the disciple who Jesus loves? I have a theory, and full disclosure, it's a theory. Take it or leave it. But we know that Mary has been present and faithful. She has been with Jesus through the ups and the downs. She was with Jesus at the cross. She shows up at the tomb. Now, here's the danger of when we hear this story. When we read this story back, as Mary and the other women approach the tomb, we know what's going to happen, right? We're, we're excited to sing, up from the grave he arose, right? We're ready. That's not why she's there. Mary didn't show up expecting resurrection. Mary shows up to the tomb to prepare the body for burial. And the body has been in the ground for a few days. This is not an experience that is going to be lauded among the nations. She's doing the dirty work. She shows up at the tomb because she loves Jesus and wants his body to be prepared for burial. And when she gets there, the tomb is empty. And she still doesn't understand, does she? She stays at the tomb after Peter and the other disciple leave, weeping, looking for Jesus, wondering where he has been moved to. And the angels ask her, why are you crying? I wonder if it's a rhetorical question. We know why you're crying. Because you love the person, Jesus. Can I contrast that for just a minute with the disciples? Mary's calling comes because Jesus has set her free. Mary's calling comes when Jesus frees her from her demons. Anybody been freed from demons by Jesus? Yes. 
And so she follows. The disciples have a different type of call. When Jesus comes to the disciples, he says, come follow me. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He says, come follow me because I'm the Messiah. They start out and the disciples are on mission. Mary is in a relationship. And what the disciples think the mission is, we see over and over again, is not Jesus' mission. Am I right? Jesus says, eventually I'm going to be taken to Jerusalem, tried, and killed. And how does Peter respond? No, you got it wrong, Jesus. That's not the mission. You seem to misunderstand the purpose of the Messiah. James and John want to sit at Jesus' right and left hand. You get a picture of the fact that they are in this for the glory. They are in this because Jesus is about to start a revolution and they want to be a part of it. Mary is following a person who has set her free and who who she deeply loves. And when Jesus is arrested in the garden, the disciples all run away. Are they in danger? Sure. But just a few days earlier, they were were saying, let's go to Jerusalem, we'll die with you. Because they were wanting to die in battle, not in sacrifice. And so for them, they're following Jesus on mission and the mission in their minds has gone sideways. The mission in their minds is not coming to completion the way we thought it was gonna go. And so we're gonna hide and we're gonna regroup. Mary follows Jesus. because she wants to be present with him. And so you see the response of the two. Mary stays close, the disciples run. And friends, the danger for us is that sometimes we get caught up in what we think the mission of Jesus is. And oddly enough, if we're not staying in close proximity to Jesus, Jesus' mission begins to look a whole lot like mine. Jesus' purposes start to look a whole lot like mine. And when it doesn't go that way, all of a sudden, I'm lost. Mary calls us to a long, loving faithfulness. So she stays at the tomb. And when Jesus shows up, she doesn't recognize him. And then he calls her name. I love that. Jesus said, when the shepherd speaks, the sheep know his voice. And he calls her name and she recognizes him at that moment. And her response to us makes sense. What does she do? She wants to grab a hold of him. 
She loves him. She wants to hang on for dear life. She thought he was dead. And so she grows to grab hold, and Jesus says something so perplexing, me and many scholars have no idea what that's about. But he says, don't hold on to me. Instead, go to my brothers. Oh, I love that line. I love it. Don't hold on to me. Go to my brothers. Our tendency, and this is always the fear, uh, is that our tendency is to just hole up and try to sit with Jesus and never leave. But Jesus says, don't hold on to me. You need to go and tell. Go and spread the word. Go and say, I have seen the Lord. And so she runs to where the disciples are and she becomes the first evangelist. She becomes the first who gets to say, Christ is risen. And as disciples, we get to respond, Christ is risen indeed. She gets to be the first one to tell the world, Christ is risen. And people get to respond, he is risen indeed. <coughs> and as I think about this time of year, as I think about our calling, our mission, our purpose. As I listened to sermons like what Pastor Steve preached last week when he reminded us that loving obedience is the true indicator of our love for God. My initial reaction is to think about, okay, what is the next big thing God is calling me to? What is the next big mission, the next big purpose, the next big adventure that God is calling me to? How am I going to impact thousands and thousands of people with the gospel? That's my natural reaction. But I think Mary shows us a different way. Mary shows us how to be present with Christ and then be the type of person who says, I have seen the Lord to the people around us. I learned early on in ministry, started at a church and was preaching every week. And every now and then you'd have a sermon and you'd look at it. This isn't one of them, by the way. You'd look at it and you'd say, this is the one, man. This is the one that's going to change everything that happens here. People are going to hear this sermon and they are going to respond. They'll be running to the altars. They're going to be going out in the streets and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And there's going to be a revival in this town like we have never seen. And you get up and you preach that sermon 
And as people are leaving, they say, good sermon, pastor. Which is the same thing they said last week. And I realized over time that even those of us who get to speak in front of groups of people, the call to a long, steady obedience with a select few is much more powerful. I watch professors at the universities who get to speak to students week in and week out. And every now and then they'll say something that might change a student's trajectory, but chances are real good that the ones that they impact the deepest are the ones who they spend time with outside of class. I watch pastors who are amazing speakers, amazing preachers, the people that they impact the deepest are the ones that they're spending time with outside of Sunday morning. I watch people in their jobs and in their places of influence and the people that they impact the deepest are the ones that they spend time with on an individual basis. And friends, that's slow. That takes time. It takes presence. It takes patience. It can be a grind. But the Spirit of God is so often revealed when we walk with people on their journey and eventually we get to tell them, I have seen the Lord. When you're with your family member who has gone off the rails and you're afraid that they're going to make you look bad, that they're going to ruin the family name, it's powerful when you stay with them and you can say, I have seen the Lord. I have seen how his brother Peter ran from him. And he called him back and his question was, do you love me? And we get to show that family member that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. That Jesus is with us through the good and the bad. There are times when we get to spend time with that person in recovery and maybe it's going well and maybe it isn't. But eventually we get to say, I have seen the Lord and he delivered me from my demons. He can deliver you from yours. And we get to walk that long, hard journey with them. We get to be present with that friend who seems to never have their finances together. They make bad decision after bad decision. They have bad luck after bad luck. And you get to say, I have seen the Lord. The one who provided for thousands of people with just a loaf of bread and a few and a few fish. We get to journey with them, showing them the way of Jesus. Who are the people you are with that need to hear you say, I have seen the Lord?
Friends, the only way we can say that to people is if we are spending time with the Lord. We are invited into relationship with him. We are invited into the disciplines. I think so often we approach the scriptures, we approach prayer, we approach worship. We approach those rhythms with duty. But God is inviting us to be in his presence to spend time with him so that we can see him. And as we walk the journey with those people who need him most, we can say, I have seen the Lord. In just a few minutes, we're gonna come to the table. And if you are a parent and you want your child to join us in that, now would be a good time to go and get them. We would invite them to the table as well. There are going to be people who come through this room who may end up being a Paul, a John, Peter, Luke, people who are going to influence large masses of people. Some of those folks are going to come through this room. But for the majority of us, we probably want to pay attention to the story of Mary. For the majority of us, we probably want to spend our lives in that long, patient, loving faithfulness, being present with Jesus, taking the time to hear his voice, spending time with him, listening to him, walking the way with him, and then spending time being with those people who are around us so that when the day comes, we can say to them, I have seen the Lord. I see what you're experiencing. And Jesus is the answer for that. Friends, the good news that Christ is risen is not just some idea that we believe. It's not just something that happened years and years and years ago. It is a reality and the answer that the world needs today. The fact that Jesus is risen from the dead and gives his spirit to his people. He is risen indeed, impacts us each and every day.